Hello, it's Friday the 10th of December. I'm Gary Bowerman. Welcome to the sixth edition of our weekly travel news and current affairs show. So let's get ready for takeoff. This is the SEA Travel News Show. Hello, wherever you are in the world, and thanks for listening in to the final 2021 edition of the SEA Travel News Show. This is the week that the world is still waiting for definitive scientific conclusions about both the transmissibility and the viral impact of the Omicron variant. For this reason, travel developments have been few and far between as governments continue to remain defensive and fairly cautious. That said, there have been a few notable exceptions around the region, with both Singapore and Thailand reporting fairly decent airport figures this week. But what does it actually feel like to travel between continents during such a time of uncertainty? On today's show, I'll be chatting with Melina Caruso, Business Development Director of the Bali Hotels Association, who recently completed a roundabout journey from Bali to Melbourne via Jakarta and Singapore, and then back again. Stay tuned as Melina talks in expressive detail about the multiple new challenges of making trips that we used to take for granted. But first, as always, let's begin with a look at this week's three biggest travel talking points. First up, here in Malaysia, which tightened its testing regime for arriving travelers again this week. On Tuesday, the 7th of December, Health Minister Kairi Jamaluddin announced further preemptive measures in light of Omicron. All Singapore vaccinated travel lane and Langkawi International Travel Bubble travelers will now need to test every day after arrival. In addition, travelers from five countries, the US, the UK, Australia, France and Norway, will need to wear a digital tracking device. In addition, all pre-departure PCR tests before visiting Malaysia must now be done within two days of departure. That's been shortened from 72 hours. That mirrors pretty much a global trend, although the United States has reduced that period down to 24 hours. In a tweet this week, the health minister also took aim at health protocols in countries like the UK, where many Malaysians are traveling to visit family and friends. He said, Malaysians going to countries like the UK should not follow the UK's lackadaisical attitude towards mask wearing. Mask up like you're in Malaysia. Next to Vietnam, where a degree of uncertainty remains regarding the government's plan to recommence international flights next week on the 15th of December. Nine mostly Asian international routes, which are Singapore, Bangkok, Phnom Penh, Vientiane, Beijing, Tokyo, Seoul and Taipei, plus San Francisco or Los Angeles, doesn't seem a decision on that yet, could reopen next week according to proposals from the Ministry of Transport. Should these routes prove successful, and I guess you have to uh, make your own definition of what that term means in the current context, more routes will open up in January. This proposed second tranche of routes early in 2022 could include Kuala Lumpur, Hong Kong and Sydney. Vietnam Express today quoted the Deputy Health Minister as saying international flights could resume, especially since a lot of Vietnamese citizens living abroad await repatriation and foreign investors want to come to seek business opportunities. That suggests that this reopening might not be for general travel. Should this happen, Vietnam will probably also look at reducing its quite strict quarantine requirements for visiting arrivals, except those on the pilot charter flight reopening in destinations like Hoi An and Phu Quoc. 
Whether flights do commence or not next week, this is the latest example of governmental border policy decision-making going right down to the wire. And that has been a notable takeaway from 2021 across Southeast Asia. And finally, and briefly, to Thailand, where it's prediction season once again. Hardly a week goes by without another upward or downward revision to the nation's quantitative tourism outlook. And this week it was the Bank of Thailand which weighed in with a forecast of about 6 million visitors for 2022. In the meantime, the airports of Thailand PLC said on Thursday that 9,483 confirmed slots for airlines from overseas destinations had been approved for December so far. That's a 24% increase on November, suggesting that the peak season is starting to gain momentum in Thailand, which hasn't really adjusted uh, its inbound requirements because of Omicron, although it did not further ease its requirements, which it had planned to do this month. A total of 186,938 travellers had entered the country since the reopening day, the test and go reopening day on the 1st of November, said the Department of Disease Control on Wednesday. The vast majority of those arrivals were at the two airports in Bangkok and Phuket. As I mentioned in the intro, this is the final of the SEA Travel News Show of 2021, but we'll be back fit and firing in January 2022. But don't despair, we've still got two more shows to bring you this year. On Monday, Hannah and I will rewind through 2021 and discuss the landmark events and developments that impacted travel and tourism across the region over the last 12 months. In addition, we'll also produce a classic cut show, recalling some of the signature comments, quotes, and discussions from our interview shows throughout 2021. So please stay tuned for those two shows. Traveling in, out of, and returning to Southeast Asia has changed dramatically over the past two years. And just when it seemed, back in November, when a small window was opening up for things to become a little less difficult, governments slammed on the brakes and new restrictions have been introduced to quell the spread of Omicron. But what is it actually like to make a journey that you've made many times before for the first time during the COVID-19 pandemic? Earlier today, I chatted with Melina Caruso, Business Development Director of the Bali Hotels Association, who is currently in quarantine in Jakarta after completing a roundabout journey from Bali to Melbourne via Jakarta and Singapore, and then back again. Here is the conversation in full, and I promise you it is well worth a listen. So hi, Melina, how is quarantine going? And where actually are you right now? Hi, Gary. Um, quarantine is going remarkably okay. Um, I'm in Jakarta at the Shangri-La, who have been very kind and doing their best to work with the uh, confines of uh, running a hotel um, quarantine market. <laughs> So we'll go back through the uh, through your your journey that you've just made, and you, you're almost completing, you're almost ready to go back to Bali. But when we spoke on the show back in mid October, now uh, you were already planning this trip to go home to Australia to, to visit your mum. You said it was very tough to arrange back then, but the details, I guess, just continue to change. There are more twists and turns along the way. Just tell us a little bit more about that planning process that you went through before you actually left Bali. Well, the planning was that. Australia opened up to foreign passport holders because I, I have I travel on an Indonesian passport, so they opened up to foreigners uh, being allowed to 
travel to Australia um, on an exemption. So you had to be, you know, either have family there or be a direct relative of, of an Australian or have a, or a permanent resident. So I had applied, but it hadn't come through. So in the meantime, I was just checking what the requirements were for leaving here, for entering Singapore, because um, Australia was opening up to um, vaccinated flight, vaccinated only flights. So there was this this continuous checklist to see what was changing. And, and it's no longer about travelling just back to Australia, but it is now travelling back to the suburb that you will be staying in. Because um, even in Victoria, you have to have a travel permit and it really depends on what you can do uh, within Victoria on uh, where you're staying and what the um, risks are in those suburbs. So there was a lot to take in. And I guess for you, one of the biggest changes really was the number of flights you had to take to get home. I mean, ordinarily, you could have flown much more direct than, than you had to do for this trip. Oh, my goodness. It was, it's a five and a half hour trip. I mean, uh, you know, to me, after living in Indonesia for, you know, 29 years, it was like getting on a bus. You know, I, I, I could do it with my eyes closed. But all of a sudden, it was getting a flight from Bali to Jakarta, Jakarta to Singapore, Singapore to Melbourne, and making sure that I had enough time because I didn't know how long things were going to take, checks were going to take. So it was like, you know, this military precision, you know, planning. It was, it was bizarre. It was bizarre and stressful. Let's talk it through bit by bit. You mentioned there that the first journey you had to make was was domestic, really. You had to fly from Bali to Jakarta. You had everything in place ready for that. How was that first leg of the journey? Chaotic. <laughs> um, yeah, there was, uh, you know, there were people trying to hold your hand, but I felt they were getting in the way. So I kind of feel like they needed to have two channels, the people who had their documents and apps together and those who had no idea what to do so that you could just move through. Um, so I found it frustrating. Obviously, you know, they're on, uh, airports are on cost-cutting measures. So, you know, it was the air conditioning wasn't working. It was hot. I didn't do on online uh, check-in because I wasn't sure about the document checking. So I kind of went to the airline counter to check in and it was there was no social distancing um it, it could have been better organized on the on the bali domestic side that's for sure right and so then you arrived in jakarta a couple of things to ask immediately is how long was your layover and what was jakarta airport like was was everything open my layover was uh, three and a half hours I made sure that I got the flight that landed in the same terminal as I was leaving so there's um, so basically I land I landed downstairs and went upstairs on the elevator to go check in. Nothing was open, hardly anything was open at Jakarta Airport. So it was interesting. Fluids weren't checked like prior to the um pandemic. You know, you they were hell-bent on checking whether you had um any uh liquids on you. My I had a full aqua bottle that I took with me. Uh, nobody checked that so I had something to drink but it, it, it wasn't easy there was a lot closed and and everything went rather smoothly so I had allowed more than enough time. And what about the airport itself were, were many people around was it very busy? No not at all it was 
you know that buzz that's at the airport you know that that chatter that oh we're going on holidays or we're traveling somewhere there's there's a buzz didn't matter where you were whether you're in a cafe or in a lounge or walking it's like being in a cemetery it's it's just there's this silence people don't really talk anymore I don't know it's surreal you sent me some photos of the different airports that you were at during your journey. And I mean, they were astonishing. If, if somebody had shown me those two years ago, you just simply wouldn't have believed that they were real. You'd think they were photoshopped because they were simply empty, weren't they? They were. I mean, you know that when you're in the airport and you have people who are, you know, leisurely walking and you want to say, get out of the way so that I can, you know, get to my gate. Uh, there was nothing. There was nobody. Nobody was in your way. Um, it was. It was. It was just crazy I mean those photos I sent you are etched in my mind forever it's something that in my lifetime that I have never seen or experienced and so the next leg was Jakarta to Singapore a flight I'm sure you've taken many many times before what was the arrival at Changi like you know we're we're used to that being well always you know one of the world's best airports one of the world's busiest airports what did you find it was still best (laughs) it was still good (laughs) there was uh, nobody there (laughs) there was nobody there I started to walk because you know I I was in transit so I needed to go to the board to see where my flight I was going to pick up my flight and I had uh, I think I had three hours three hour layover so I just thought I was looking around there wasn't much open so I made my way to the gate and there was just this silence. It was just deafening. There were deafening silence. I can't explain it any other way. Um, and everybody was, you know, socially distancing. They don't open the gate um, until right at the last minute. And everybody went through in groups. There was a bit of double checking that I had the right documents once more, you know, the Australian um Travel declaration app completed, uh, the vaccination, they just wanted to check I had had all of that. But it was just quiet, you know, this, this silence. And, and the process of actually channeling you through the airport, are, are you clearly segregated at, this, at certain areas that you can't, you know, walk to? Or For the flight to Australia, uh, no. In transit, in the transit area, no, not at all. But I did have a friend come back from the UK a couple of days ago and he was not allowed to leave his area. So it has changed in the last few days. Then finally, from Singapore, you're on your way back to Melbourne. Was, was that an overnight flight or was that a day flight? It was an overnight. I, and I had um, The flight wasn't very full and I managed to sleep the entire way with my mask on. <laughs> so you arrived back home in Melbourne. That was the first time since when? When were, when were you back? The last time I went back to Melbourne was February, I went to the Grand Prix, February 2018. So in that time, Melbourne has gone through some of the longest lockdowns in the world, but it has relaxed some of its COVID restrictions, as you you mentioned. What What did it feel like arriving, being back home for the first time during the pandemic? Different. Um, First of all, uh, uh, kudos to the Melbourne airport because it was easy. You there were no checkpoints. You just uh, went straight as as you do to the immigration uh, counter and they, you know, check your passport, ask for your vaccination, your border permit, your Australian declaration and off you go. So that was, that was good. Um, auto gates are no longer uh, in fashion. You, even Australian, uh, Australians returning on Australian passports had to go 
and line up in the immigration queue. That was easy. That was simple. I got took all of 25 minutes or something right through customs because there was nobody there. There was just nobody. It was quick. But what was different was going to just just trying to enter a business. Did you, you know, um, have you got your QR code? Yes, I have. And then, but my vaccination certificate was an overseas vaccination certificate and you can only get it registered at a um, doctor's. So I needed to go to the doctor first, but I couldn't go to the doctor because uh, for Victoria, you have to have your second PCR test, negative PCR test before you can go into an aged care facility a school or a medical facility. So, <laughs> you know, it was just like I just wanted to actually just go home. But, uh, you know, the purpose was to see my mum who was in an aged care facility and I couldn't do that. So you had to take another test and then how quickly did you get those results? Um, so 24 hours later I got um, I just used a drive through and got a test which was simple and then the next day um, I got the result by SMS and then I was allowed to go into the aged care facility full PPE um, not allowed to go up to where my my mum lives on the apartment where she lives so I had to stay outside and then day five, I had to have another test. I had that in the morning and got the results by the evening. And then after that, I was pretty much uh, free to continue on. I didn't isolate at all. I believe um, now uh, you do have all international arrivals have to isolate for 72 hours at home or in a hotel. And what was the atmosphere like? In Did you go into Melbourne, the city? What was the atmosphere like? What, what did it feel like? The suburbs felt normal. But the city felt different, empty, not as many people. I mean, I think because it was Christmas, it was a little bit deceiving, but it just, I mean, we had an apartment in the city in Melbourne, so I know what it's like to live and breathe the city. It was not the same city at all. And you were back in Australia when the global Omicron panic started. What was the the media response? What was the, the popular response to it? I was just fear, 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 fear. Oh, my God, you know. Everybody, you could see there were there was an increase in mask wearing. I could see that as I was going around. Previously to that, people were a little bit lax with their mask wearing, but as soon as the news hit about that, people were wearing their masks a lot more. My intuition was to check the news for Indonesia because I thought, oh, my goodness me, what's going to happen there? Um, and sure enough, you know, within a couple of days, bang, we went to seven days <laughs> quarantine required instead of uh, three. And then after that, that, that increased to 10 days quarantine. So what did that require you to do in terms of organising for your trip coming back? Well, I had the hotel booked for seven days. So I needed to, you know, go check that I could, because I, I couldn't quite figure out, how, they couldn't tell me to go really, because I'm not allowed to. So I just had to make sure that, um, you know, everything was in place for the for the additional three days. I have to tell you, I contemplated not coming back. <laughs> um, I, I thought maybe I should just go to Switzerland and see my son. And my son rings me, he goes, Mum, we've had the highest number of cases today in a long time. I thought, well, I better not go there because I might be shut out completely. My fear was Singapore, to be honest with you. I was afraid if um, Singapore was not going to allow people to transit. That was my fear. 
So flying back, you've done the, the, the same journey in reverse. So you've flown from Melbourne via Singapore to Jakarta. Was there anything different there on the return leg that there, that there was on the outgoing leg that you noticed? No, it was actually still the same. But I believe that a few days later, Singapore did tighten up a little bit. But for me, no, it was pretty much the same going back. And so you're now on day six of your quarantine in Jakarta. You've got four more days to go. What's the the rest of the process before you can get back home to Bali? So I believe day nine, I have the PCR test. And then day 10, I should get my clearance letter to fly. I've booked my flight for the first flight that I could get, which is at one o'clock in the afternoon. So I'll basically hopefully get my clearance letter by email and check out and go straight to the airport. And what's the quarantine experience being like? I mean, is it day by day you've managed to keep yourself busy? What does it actually feel like being in quarantine? I don't know. I think because I was so exhausted, you know, from planning the trip and, and worrying about if I had everything in place and and then the trip, it wasn't a holiday going back, so it was quite emotional, you know, seeing the family and everything. That it actually, when I, when I, everyone's going, oh, how are you going to survive 10 days, you know? I, I just sort of went, okay, well, I'm going to have a 10-day holiday. That's, you know, so mentally I just prepared myself. I had work to do. Um, I kind of designed a little bit of a 10-day keep fit program that, you know, I've been playing um, bowls with the water bottles and toilet rolls and <laughs> I've just got a little bit creative in the room. So, so looking back on this trip, you, you, you've got four more days to go, then you're back home to Bali. Looking back on this thing, you know, what have been the key learnings for you, what, what, both from the planning side and the actual sort of traveling side? What, what, what would you say that you've learned that you, you could pass on to us that haven't done it during this pandemic? Be prepared. So check everything 10 times. Uh, print out everything. Don't rely on your um, apps working in the airport if, you, um, if you're relying on Wi-Fi. That actually happened to me in Melbourne. Luckily, I, I had a, a red plastic folder and I had everything printed out in triplicates so that if anybody, you know, needed anything, they could have it. And um, I showed most people were happier to have the paper than they were to have the apps, believe it or not. And make sure you dial in your common sense because you need a lot of it. You do need a lot of it and you just need to not be stressed out. You just have to be as relaxed as you can be. And if people don't socially distance, you distance yourself because uh, some people just don't don't do it. Having done it once, it's been quite a quite a monumental journey that you, you've been on. Would you do it again? Are you once bitten, twice shy? I do in a heartbeat. I mean, I I have travelled a lot and from a young age, and the risk is worth it. You know, if you if you do everything properly, you use your common sense. Um, you you abide by the rules and the regulations. It's possible, and I would do it. I'm planning on going to Switzerland at the end of January, and I know what it entails now, and I will be a lot more relaxed about it. Only in the in the in the process, not not. I mean, obviously, I still have to abide by the rules, but I know what to do now, and that that is just be fully prepared. Have make yourself a checklist, and just make sure that you have more. It's better to have more than than take, say, for instance, say, oh, it doesn't say that, but maybe I won't worry about it. No, put it in because if you don't need it, no, no big deal. 
It's, it's been fascinating chatting, Melina, and, and listening to your experiences. And then the one key takeaway that I've got from this is that as much planning that you do, as you know, all the rigorous doing of the administration and getting everything together, you can't really understand what it's like to go through this unless you've actually done it. Would you, would you say that's fair? Agree, agree. And, and for me, I guess being in the tourism industry as well, my biggest thing now is that in order for us, for tourism to come back and for people to start travelling, we have to streamline the process because otherwise people, are, you know, you've, you're either going to have travellers that are willing to take the risk or they're not, right? So you, if they're willing to take the risk, don't make it difficult for them. Make it as easy as possible. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Melina. It's fantastic talking to you. Good to talk to you too, Gary. Thank you.